Hey, it's Lynn Galadner, and this is the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm founder of the Your People Marketing and PR Agency, and I lead the Make Meaning Movement, a platform that helps purpose-driven visionaries and leaders do business with meaning. On this podcast, you'll hear stories of how people dare to take chances to live the life they want with meaningful work and purposeful days. There are many ways to fill your life with meaning. Join us at makemeaning.org to learn more. Now, on to the show. Francois Booker-Drew, PhD, believes relationships are the key to personal, professional, and organizational growth. Francois has a background in leadership, also in nonprofit management, partnership development, training, and education. She was National Community Engagement Director for World Vision U.S. programs, and she is the co-founder of Heritage Giving Circle, the first African-American women's giving circle in Texas. She's incredibly well-educated and trained, including degrees from the University of Texas at Arlington, Oklahoma City University, and Antioch University. And she attended the Jean Baker Miller Institute at Wellesley for training in relational cultural theory and completed UNICEF training on equity-based evaluations. Francois is the author of three books and a college professor and currently serves as Vice President of Community Affairs for the State Fair of Texas. Francois, welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I'm just so impressed with all that you do and have done. I just feel like you're changing the world every day. So (laughs) kudos to you for all of your great work. It's amazing. So I know that you call yourself a connector. I want to hear a little bit about what that means and how it plays out in your daily work and life. So I spend so much of my time looking at problems and seeing people as solutions to those problems. And so in my role at the State Fair, I'm constantly looking at, you know, issues that our community has. And we're located in a community that has a lot of challenges. Mm -hmm. And so I'm often thinking about ways in which we can bring people to the table who can help solve for those. So whether it's someone that could be a donor whether it's I had a group who recently had an RFP where they didn't know what to do. And I knew someone who worked on uh, RFPs for businesses and connected them to share resources. So it shows up in, in so many areas of my life. And I didn't know there was a term for it. But I found myself very early in my career when I would hear people talking, thinking about you need to know this person. And so I do that not only, you know, in my professional life, but my personal life. I joke with my daughter and tell her at my funeral, I really want it to be a networking session. I want all (laughs) my friends to know one another and just spend the first hour talking to each other. And then you can do, you know, a little small service. But I just love people getting to know each other because I think so often we look at relationships as being solely transactional, that I get something out of it. And I don't think we spend the time to really think about how relationships can be transformational. And I say that all the time because we don't think about when we're in connection with someone and getting to know them, that there is information that we can share that could totally change who we are, whether they connect us to a person, they give us advice, you know, whatever it may be, relationships really help move the needle in our lives. Mm-hmm. It's really true. I mean, you know, I love how you said relationships as transactional versus transformational. And, 
you know, I wonder, I mean, how do we learn that? You know, I'm just sort of analyzing this and unpacking it a little bit, but, you know, we start in relationship when we're little and even just befriending other kids on the playground. Um, is it at that age transactional or transformational and does it change at some point in our lives? What do you think about that? That's, that's an awesome question. I think it's both. Mm. I think sometimes their relationships, like I remember as a kid being bullied, Mm. although that wasn't a positive transformational situation, it was transformational because for a period of time, I didn't trust women because Mm. the people who had bullied me and who I had a lot of negative experiences with growing up happened to be female. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I always tell people I had to also change the way I saw myself and how I saw women. And once I did that, um, it's not to say that there weren't bullies and people that weren't, um, positive people, but I ended up attracting more people in my life who were loving and kind. I have an amazing network of both female and male friends, but I think, you know, we have to keep in mind that those experiences shape us and whether they're good or bad on the playground, if a kid calls you a name, it's just like even with racism. We learn that not necessarily from textbooks. Sure, we saw, see it on TV and we can learn it from textbooks. I don't want to dismiss that, but quite often it's because someone has taught us that or someone has done something to us. And so all of it is connected to relationships. And then it's reinforced. Even if you see it on TV, then you're on the playground. And that idea is reinforced by a person who either says it or acts it out. It's so true. I remember I have four kids. And um, when my daughter was little, um, there was some kind of bullying situation going on. I mean, I think it was like second grade. It was very young. And I was trying to figure out, you know, what was happening here and how, how could we rectify it? And long story short, you know, one of the girls, um, I got to know her mother and I saw that her mother was kind of a bully in the family. And I had heard from another mother that this girl's younger sister who was in kindergarten was bullying her kid. And so I'm like, all right, the common denominator is that family. And these are young girls. They're not like they, you're not born bullying. And so- you know, it happens at home. It's what they're seeing. And so they're modeling what they know. And I think it's really powerful, you know, mentioning racism. Absolutely. That you don't come out of the womb disliking someone because of the color of their skin. It's you like don't ridiculous. Know. Yeah. Right. You don't, and, and notice when children are very young on the playground. Yeah. It's fascinating. When my daughter was a little kid, it was like she recognized little people. It's like a radar that when they see another kid, they automatically eyes connect. And the first thing that they want to do is play. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and they have no barriers or concerns. It's just having a good time until a relationship teaches them no getaway. You can't yeah. do that. That person is bad. And so our relationships, even when we think about leadership, mm-hmm. the way that many of us show up even as leaders is based on relationships that we've had. So if we've had a, a boss who micromanaged us, mm-hmm. we will oftentimes think, well, that's what leadership looks like. I mean, because we got things done. Or for me, when I had bosses like that, it was appalling. And I've vowed to be something totally different because I saw how that was damaging to me. So Mm -hmm. again, relationships have so much to do with crafting how we see the world, how we see ourselves, and then how we show up. That's so true. I, Yeah. I love how, you know, your worldview comes from your experiences and what you're seeing around you in relationship. And I do think that all of this can be learned and unlearned. You know, I I remember when my children were little, they they didn't see, you know, if somebody had a disability or they were older or there was something, 
you know, different about them. They really didn't see that. They just saw the person. They learned to see distinction over time. It wasn't something that they knew when they were little. They just saw a person being nice to them or a person not being nice to them. Right. Know? Right. Yeah. And and I think what, what often happens is that those experiences, to your point, parents affirm or, you know, repel their kids based on what they see their parents. Because think about it, your first teachers are your parents. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of who we are and how we see relationships, our marriages, Mm -hmm. you know, no one gets a book on this is what you do to have a great marriage or have a great dating relationship. It is modeled for us. And then we have these expectations around roles of this is what a man we think is supposed to do or what a woman does. Mm -hmm. And it's because those things have been modeled unless people are intentional to say, no, we're going to do something different or we're going to allow you to, to see the world differently. And, and it goes back to even, you know, for parents, what our networks look like, because that reinforces to our children, do we accept difference or not? And so if our networks tend to be homogeneous and they look just like us, then the message may be for a lot of kids, well, that's what it's supposed to be. Versus, you know, and not to say that there's anything wrong with it because we have family, they're, they're friends that we've grown up with in those circles. But I think, you know, and I talk about this around social capital is that most of us are so used to doing what's called bonding social capital, connecting to people that are just like us and nothing wrong with that. But at some point we've got to look at both, which is bonding and bridging. So how do we connect to people that are different than we are? Because that's when we're going to experience difference. As you said, your children with being around people who have disabilities or seeing people that are older. And when parents are intentional about exposing their children to this huge ideal of possibilities, then difference doesn't become this ideal of being harmful, because I think for a lot of us, safe means same. It's really interesting. You know, I, I know you're a college professor. Where where do you teach? I teach at Tulane starting this fall. Ooh, awesome. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. I love that. So, you know, as a college professor, um, you know, and I have one kid going off to school in a couple weeks, actually. And, oh, wow. um, <laughs> and I, as a marketing and PR professional, I work with a lot of universities and schools. And I'm fascinated by this transformational age of adolescence. You know, when you're really figuring out who you are, um, you're leaving the nest, you you have an identity that was given to you, but now you have the opportunity through independence to figure out who you are and what you believe. But so many of these perspectives are cemented early on. So even by the university that you choose, you know, it can be you can go into sameness or you can discover difference. And so I wonder, this question that I grapple with, I wonder what your thoughts are as a college professor, but, you know, is college or university, is it about gaining education and skills so that you can build a career? Or is it about developing who you are and who you want to be in the world? Or is it both? What are your thoughts on that? I'm a both and kind of girl. I tell my daughter who is now junior in college, um, I have told her since she was a little girl that I think as a society, we are always focused on this ideal of either or Mm -hmm. and not recognizing the both and that exists and that multiple realities can exist at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so I think for young people, yes, college is about getting information that will give you a label to be able to go and get a job, hopefully. Um, It's not necessarily a guarantee, but hopefully you will do that. But I think what college did for me was bigger than that. It was the relationships. Again, I remember um, I was volunteering, had no idea that there was a group of folks who were watching me. And it ended up turning into a full-time job where I had to ask my dean and my chair, 
you know, what could I do to go on and try to graduate? Because it was an amazing opportunity. I was like three hours away from it, but it was an amazing opportunity. And one, if I had not had the relationship with my dean and my chair, we wouldn't have been able to work out something where I could finish and take this job. But it was also me volunteering and showing up and and trying to do my best. And I was so young, I think in retrospect, and I often joke about this, that I shouldn't have been teaching anything at that age because I didn't know what I was talking about. But I I showed up. And so having those relationships and one ended up, you know, with that job, she's my mentor, even 30 plus years later, she's still Mm -hmm. mentoring in my life. So relationships are critical, I think, for the success of our young people, one, and shaping who they are and discovering what's important and what values they have. And and it's also moments of what I talk about is cognitive dissonance, where young people are faced with these issues of, oh, my goodness, my parents taught me this, but I'm seeing something different. So what do I believe? And and their values are tested. And some young people will go, I don't know if I agree with that. Others may go, yeah, this this is what my parents have said. I'm sticking to it. I think we all go through this wrestling and, and college allows young people to figure out what's important to them, who they are, um, build some amazing relationships. But it also helps them think about what's the path for them and, and discovery. And so, and so I think it it is, you know, imperative as parents and I'm learning to let go. It's hard, but as parents, (laughs) you still want to say, pay attention to this. I was telling my daughter, you need to wear a mask. And and I knew she was thinking, where do you think I've been the last six months? I know I need to wear a mask, (laughs) but, but allowing them the space to find who they are, knowing that whatever you taught them they'll be okay. And they have that as foundation and it will continue to grow in its space. That's really true. It's, it's great points. And I, I love um, your perspective about how important relationships are. And I, I've been saying to my son that, you know, um, you know, he's done very well in high school and I'm sure he expects to do the same in college. And we've talked a little bit about, you know, what if your grades dip or, you know, they probably will first semester, but, but I've, I've said to him, it's not, college is not about the grades. It's about becoming who you're meant to be. And you know, I, I, I remember you said when I was preparing for the interview, you said, I've never been to a funeral where the person's job is discussed. And it's really true. Um, it is. I, and I think that it's an important distinction. And so I wanted to ask you, you know, should we be living with an eye toward the legacy we will leave and the impact we make? Um, is that, should that be our driving force? You know, I, it, it's different for everybody, but that is for me. You know, a friend of mine had me do something that was so um, bizarre, and it was to write my own obituary now. And I remember just going, I want to do it. That's so morbid. It was one of the most liberating experiences I've had. Because in writing the obituary, it made me think about how I wanted to live. Isn't that something? And thinking about dying, it forced you to think about how you're being intentional and living. Because, you know, when you look at most obituaries of people that have accomplished things, they talk about they did this and they were able to impact their kids and, and what they left behind. And all of them, if you notice, in some way talk about a relationship that they were able to give money to this group and, and what it did for this organization or, you know, how they connected to these people. And so for me, it is about thinking and, and, and being strategic about legacy. How is it that you want to be remembered and what are you doing to make the world a little bit better? And I think we often leave that to people who are famous or wealthy and think that that's only for them. When in reality, all of us, have a reason why we're here and there's something that we have to deposit in someone, whether it's our kids, whether it's in a coworker, 
but there is something that each of us has that we can deposit. And if we're open, we can get things deposited in us that help us to be better and, and, and live in a way that our grandkids can be proud of, of saying that was my grandmother. I totally agree. You know, this is the Make Meaning podcast and we focus on how people find their meaning and live by purpose. And I say all the time, I mean, I feel like I feel like you're pulling words out of my own head mm-hmm. where, you know, we are all here for a reason. Every single person on this planet has a mission and I believe it's our life's journey to figure that out and enact it. And there's so much clutter and so much distraction that could obscure that mission. But I think that's what it comes down to. It's just, it's about meaning and purpose. I'm taking this class, believe it or not. I am a fan of Lori Beth Jones and Mm -hmm. she is one of my favorite authors. And her first book was called um, Jesus CEO. And it's not preachy, but I love her work. And so she wrote a book called The Path, which helps you develop your mission statement. So years ago, I developed my personal mission statement. Even at this season in my life, I'm sitting back going, okay, how am I using my time in a way that allows me to live on purpose? And so I started taking this six-week class with her, um, some of her protégés, and it has been mind-blowing for me because it has helped me to not only affirm, but to really begin to focus in on what is it that I feel led and called to do. And I would strongly encourage people to do a couple of things. It is looking at your personal mission statement. You know, if we work for companies that develop them all the time, why is it that we don't have one for our own lives? And looking at so many people, you know, in history who had them and how that shaped and and developed a path for them. I think we need to do that. But the second thing that it made me think about, because she talked about your tribe, who is it that you, you are, you know, called to work with thinking about not only that piece but who who are the people that you're in community with and and how are they pouring into your lives and supporting you and from there who becomes your personal board of directors so mm. who are the folks that are you know checking you and not the amen corner who anything you do you know if you walked in and and pull down your pants on the floor and they go hey man that's just a beautiful bottom not that group <laughs> you want the group that goes girl what's wrong with you i love you and i'm i'm going to challenge you and so what does it look like for all of us to have a personal board of directors who helps us hone in on that vision and that mission that we have for our lives so that when we do leave the planet even if we don't do it all, we've executed on it and implemented some of those things that were important to us. Okay, so I have to ask, would you share with us your personal mission statement? Yes, so my personal mission statement, we're still crafting, is to connect, to engage, and to translate purpose to women. Love it. Love it. Oh, that's awesome. That is super, super cool. So we're going to share all this in the show notes, um, but I love this idea of developing a personal mission statement. And it's a lot like what I do with the Make Meaning Movement and helping people find their personal meaning so that it can direct their decisions for work, for uh, for everything in your life. If you know what you're here to do, you can really live by purpose, which I think is super yes. important, you know? Yes. So I want to pivot a little bit. You know, we're at this um, critical moment, which I hope is a moment of great change in our country. I mean, I'm hoping. I I remain optimistic, although we have quite a history that has proven otherwise, but I'm I'm hoping we're on uh, the doorstep of a new dawn. 
But what are your thoughts about the upheaval we're experiencing uh, with younger and younger voices finally shouting for unequivocal change? You know, we're enduring divisive politics, unbelievable racial inequities that continue to endure really astoundingly all these hundreds of years later, and of course, global health challenges. So, I mean, what are your thoughts about um, this uprising of young voices? Do you think it's going to move us toward that new frontier? I sure hope so. You know, I was telling my boss, when you think about the year 2020, Mm -hmm. think about vision. When you go to the eye doctor, Mm -hmm. perfect vision is 2020. This year is about vision and exposure. We're beginning to see who we really are. But I think it's also an opportunity for us to see what possibilities could look like. Mm -hmm. And so there's a double-edged sword there. I think for a long time, many of us have been complacent. Um, and disconnected because it didn't impact us. And now that we're home, we're forced to have to look at things because we're not able to go to ball games and, and, you know, dull our senses with entertainment because it keeps us from having to feel. And Mm -hmm. I think now that we are having to be bombarded with these things, we're having to make some real serious decisions about how do we move forward, you know, not just as individuals, but as a community because our destinies are tied together. And if I don't thrive and do well, you got to know it's going to have some impact on you directly or indirectly. Mm -hmm. And so I'm excited to see young people who are finding their voices and are speaking up. When you look at any movement that has happened in history, it has been because young people have been involved and have been at the center of it. I mean, think about when you look at King and what happened in the civil rights movement, they were fairly young. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and, and so it is going to require young folks um, who are going to be here, who have investment in the future to speak up. And I think it's important for those of us who are more seasoned, as I call myself, <laughs> um, to, to support them and to uh, marry this idea of innovation and creativity with wisdom. Mm-hmm. And instead of beating them down and doing this boomer, you know, and, and millennial fight argument thing, which is so ridiculous to me, because if you're honest, those two generations are very much similar than they are different. Yeah. And instead yeah. of them coming together, why would we create divisiveness? And at the core of all of it is this ideal of losing power. Mm-hmm. And what we don't understand is, is that when we share it, all of us actually benefit there, I recognize when I give away relationships, and I'll just be honest, when I was young, it was real easy to want to hoard stuff because you wanted people coming to you. It's exhausting. And it's ridiculous. But I recognize that when I opened up my hands and gave more away, that it actually ended up increasing and giving me even more where I was going, where is this all coming from? <laughs> I, I think that's the, the, the mentality as you talk about your, your show's title and making meaning. I think Mm -hmm. we really have to begin to start making meaning of what does power look like Mm -hmm. and why are we so afraid of this idea of losing it when, where did we get it from to begin with? So I think we've got to start really analyzing these ideas that we've been passed down that aren't necessarily true or accurate, but we're holding on to something that no longer works for us. Yeah. I, I find such inspiration in these young voices and it, it just gives me hope um, because the future is in their hands and I, I want to believe it's a better future. And so um, I think we all had intentions of taking us there, but it doesn't always it doesn't always work. And so I'm just hoping that this is a new destiny, a new dawn for sure. I, I am excited because I'm seeing so much come out of it. and um, And to see when you look at these protests, 
that it's not just black kids that are out there and young adults that are out there fighting. Mm -hmm. You're seeing all kinds of ethnicities out there and Mm -hmm. you're seeing people of different ages that are showing up, even though it's a lot of young people. I love it. And Mm -hmm. I strongly encourage them to, to continue raising their voices and asking the hard questions that many people were afraid to ask and who were complacent and because they benefited from it, they let things be. I think it's time to really begin to evaluate, as you know, I mentioned earlier, what are the possibilities in reimagining a world that is inclusive and that all of us can benefit from mm-hmm. um, and, and not see it as if I lose, you win. It's mm-hmm. a very warped way of looking at things. Why can't we all benefit? Yeah, and we, and why does it have to be a, a competition? We can all win, hundred percent, hundred percent. So I'd like to talk a little bit about Solstice Consultancy. I know yes. this is your consulting agency on top of everything that you're doing, <laughs> yes. um, and you do public relations like I do, fundraising and other things. So tell me a little bit about your company and your vision for your work. So I have scaled back quite a bit, and I have two national clients that I work with that I'll provide some trainings to. Mm -hmm. Um, and helping them really think about where they want to go in terms of um, either the organizations that they support um, uh, around the country and and just helping them think about how do they engage and what does that strategy look like, whether it's around strategic planning for some. For others, it's really the direction of their board. Mm -hmm. So I've scaled back quite a bit on that because my daytime job and writing has consumed more of my time. And so I've been extremely selective about taking on clients. The writing piece has um, come up more. And it's been interesting that even for me, paying attention to these seasons and cycles in my life, Mm -hmm. because there was a time when the writing was something that I wasn't focused on as much, but I was more um, intentional about building clients and and trying to keep the business going. Mm -hmm. My full time takes up and, and I love that I um, serve as vice president of State Fair of Texas over community affairs. Mm -hmm. And that job has just been amazing because I was able to walk in in 2016 and there was no department and actually build the work that we do, our philanthropic focus, our signature programs, the number of organizations that we now connect to. Last year, we funded about 67 organizations, a little Mm -hmm. under half a million dollars. So, yeah, so just doing that has really limited some of Solstice So you'll see more of the writing piece and the books and the newsletter um, that that I've been doing. And and now podcasts just for women um, Mm -hmm. and weaving their stories together. That's been more of the the focus now than the actual building the client base. But I know one day my job will not want to hear that. One day I'm sure (laughs) that will come back. Awesome. Awesome. And what will you be teaching at Tulane this year? Oh my goodness. It's a master's level course that is on organizational leadership, governance, and sustainability. It Mm. is a class that I wish I had. I I have friends who are now like, can I audit it? Because I'm so excited about the content and teaching students about asset mapping in every community. I don't care how poor it is. There are assets that exist and how do you identify, you know, those assets or thinking about, you know, this idea of a community cultural wealth that another um, brilliant scholar came up, two scholars actually have come up with the asset mapping piece and then a, a brilliant scholar came up with the community cultural 
wealth model and helping, you know, young folks and not, you know, and again, some seasoned folks begin to start thinking about how relationships impact our board governance, our fundraising, Mm -hmm. all of those things that make a strong nonprofit or even governmental organization. Mm -hmm. That's what I'll be teaching. I won't go through all the modules because I don't want to give it all away, (laughs) but, but it is um, really developing these kind of scholar practitioners to see their work in a different way as they engage in communities. Beautiful. That's really exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. So I typically finish our podcast interviews by asking guests what permission slips they would offer to our listeners. These (laughs) these are words of wisdom or pieces of advice to help others give themselves permission to pursue their meaning and live by purpose. So Francois, I would ask you what permission slips you might offer to our listeners today. This is going to sound strange, but it's okay to be angry. I think for so long, women have been told that that's not an emotion that they should show and that it should be suppressed. Now, I'm not suggesting you walk in and tear up, you know, Mm -hmm. stores and things like that. No, no, no. What I am saying is that you should be able to express the totality of your emotions. And when something bothers you, you should have the right to be able in a respectful way to talk about what is bothering you. But I find that so many women do not have safe spaces to share their emotions and that we are rewarded for quite often just being quiet and kind and nice and not being able to to have opinions and and strong opinions at that. And it's okay to do that. I love it. And thank you for taking a stand because I think that you're right, that it isn't encouraged to show anger and show emotion, but you know what? It's real. And we're in a time when I think it's expected. I think that it's normal to feel a lot of strong emotions about everything we're going through right now. And if we don't feel them and express them, they're just going to bubble up and come out in ways that we don't want them to. So I think that's brilliant. Well, Francois... I can't thank you enough for being on the Make Meaning Podcast. You're an incredible woman, and I'm so delighted to know you. And thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your experience and your journey with us here. Thank you, friend. I'm so glad that I got to meet you, and I look forward to connecting with your audience. And anything that I can do to share, I'm here. Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast with Lynn Galadner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you've heard here, join us over at makemeaning.org to discover how you can add more meaning to your life. And hey, if you like our conversations, please subscribe and share this episode with the meaningful people in your world.